Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. Back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wright. Corey, I'm always the 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 pace of your voice. I mean, that's probably a normal pace. But when we're on our podcast, people often think that we're talking in two times yeah. speed. <laughs> they actually think we we speed it speed it up, which well, we don't. Well, in my head, I got to count really, really slow when I speak because uh, what's slow in my head is probably fast to a lot of people. So, but you actually introduced the show at a slower pace than you actually speak. Well, I practice four or five times every Friday before we record in the mirror. Like if you You're look at like Anchorman, slowly. I'm, I'm going through that in the mirror before we come on the show. I'm practicing. <laughs> Slowing down, putting the right emphasis on the wrong syllables, right, just right. making sure we're ready to go. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, and I'm your sometimes host, I should say, Adam Scalina. Really love this show today that we have because we have Peter Leung. He's a global real estate investor. He's also an investorpreneur. I'm yeah. going to make sure I have to slow it down for that. <laughs> But it's actually a trademark title that Peter has. Yeah, of course he does. Of right. course he does, right? No, it's it's a great episode. I had the luxury of meeting Peter probably almost a decade ago now. Right. During a transaction and acquiring a shopping center. He was sorry, he was acquiring a shopping center, not me, that's for sure. And, <laughs> and just to see how well he has done. And not only does he has he grown a massive real estate portfolio locally, but internationally. And he speaks to that in certain markets around the world and how BC stacks up to them and how right. how he you know he loves BC he thinks it's still going it's been one of his top performing cities you know really really good insight and also breaks down a really good fundamental from a lending perspective yeah. of commercial versus residential that he figured out very early in his career as an investor that a lot of people discover at usually at some point and then when they do they they pivot like Peter did and their whole portfolio builds into commercial not as much residential. Well, this is actually what I loved about the conversation is it's we really kind of tap into the trajectory of a real estate investor, right? Yeah. And and also like kind of the transformation from someone who starts in residential, it sounds like Peter got his his start in pre-sale condos. Yeah. And at some point he makes this shift to commercial and now he, you know, has holdings all over the world. Yeah. He's full-blown global. He was in Hong Kong when we spoke to him today. Yeah. You know, he's spent a lot of time in Vancouver. He invests in London. He's everywhere, even Moncton, New Brunswick. Um, <laughs> so he's, he is he is everywhere, this guy. But it's a very interesting story. We talk about his investment philosophy. We talk about buy and hold strategy. We talk about playing currencies. Yeah. There's a lot that we cover today. It's just a phenomenal conversation. Yeah. Extremely intelligent guy. Really intelligent guy. And he's done extremely well as an investor in real estate. And he provides some amazing insight for yeah, everybody. For sure, for sure. But before we get to that, Corey, we do have a sponsorship for today. As always, we're sponsored by our great friends over there at Impact Commercial. For all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. Really shout out to Al and the gang. Oh, just 
every day they impress me. Doing God's work over you, there. You, Save, saving you. Yeah. <laughs> Without Al, William Wright Commercial doesn't exist <laughs> doesn't because exist. there's financing deals we have that go sour on us every single day. And we call Al and he comes in with the defibrillators, gets the deal right back on track and it closes. I, so. I, in, I think of him more as like the cleaner. He kind of <laughs> yeah. comes, you know, like he'd be the guy that comes in and cleans up the crime scene. Yeah. After the fact. <laughs> is that, it's, it's more like or less. A, more it's less. like a Tarantino-esque kind of guy. Yeah. Well, yeah. when Al walks in the room, there's an aura about him and everyone just stops and looks and you're like, okay, this guy's here to get this deal over the line. Yeah. Like, just <laughs> never disappoints. Well, shout out to uh, Alan and his team. What else do we got before we go live today? Did you, Anything on your radar right now that you want to talk about real estate wise? Right now, you know, as we head into the fall season, I think a lot of people were kind of, I mean, everyone thought it would be busy. Yeah. I, mean, I think we all were on the same wavelength there. Coming off July and August, which we we kind of just plowed through. We didn't really get much of a slowdown, but I know a lot of people on the residential side saw that. You know, when the economy was somewhat open back up, so you got to expect people are getting back out there and, and right. doing that. So I think it was to be expected. But going into fall, I mean, it's picked up even more than we anticipated. Yeah. And it's just going like gangbusters. I don't think it's going to slow down for the holiday season. Like I think a lot of times we can kind of feel it in the air. Usually get late October, but it's just there's just there's just no property out there to be had, and there is so much money, as Peter talks to on this podcast today, on the sidelines waiting to get deployed. That people are just hungry for the right assets. So this, we're yeah, it, it's 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 been extremely busy. Right now we're on pace to have the biggest commercial year, I guess, from a total volume of transactions. I think they're anticipating it could finish up somewhere in that seven and a half billion That's range. That's from Metro Vancouver. Yeah, Metro Vancouver area. And it's just, it's going like gangbusters. So if you're thinking about getting in the market or you're not sure where it's at, get in sooner than later because we don't anticipate it's going to slow down anytime soon. You know, it's interesting because we've been talking on our show about the residential market and just, there's just no inventory, yeah. right? And I mean, something comes up, and it's it's like everybody's fighting over the same properties, lots of multiple offers still. But really, it's it's interesting because it almost feels slow slower yep. than than the spring market, mostly on account of just the inventory. Yep. Like there's nothing to buy, right? So same it's thing. a it's a bizarre situation we're in right now. Definitely an interesting market. One we'll continue to talk about on this show. Yep. But without further ado, maybe let's cut to our interview with Peter Leon. Enjoy, guys. Okay, so we're here with Peter Leung, investor, preneur, and global real estate investor. How are you doing, Peter? I'm doing fantastic, guys. Thanks so much for taking the time today, Peter. We were just talking about it before we went live here. You're currently in Hong Kong right now. It's the morning here in Vancouver. We're sipping coffee. It's clearly got to be the evening where you are. It is. It's just past midnight, but I will say <laughs> this. I'm also sipping on coffee because I'm doing my real estate in BC or whether it's a Newfoundland or in BC or that of London. So, you know, we are global. We are one global economy. So it doesn't matter night or day, the, the clock keeps ticking. Now, does your coffee have Kahlua in it like Adam's does? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, just a little bit, right? Just a little bit. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's 9 a.m. somewhere, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time to come on and, and, and sort of educate us. One reason why we wanted to have you on, obviously, is is not only do you have a, a very large real estate portfolio in BC, but as you just sort of alluded to a second ago, you've got real estate holdings all over the world. And we get so many international buyers, you know, tenants of retail, everything like that, wanting to get into BC. So we wanted to have you on and sort of tell us, A, what is the allure 
from an international investment perspective to BC, and also at the same point in time with you having property all about all over the world, how does BC stack up with respect to that? But I just I realized I just jumped the gun there. Sorry, Pete. One second. Adam's going <laughs> to ask you how. I was going to ask Lo- you a question loaded first. question there. Yeah. Loaded question. Well, before we get to that, though, Peter, can you tell us a little bit about yourself first for our listeners? Absolutely. So first and foremost, thank you guys for having me on. I'm uh, proud and privileged to be able to share some of my knowledge that I've gained over the years and my investment experience, certainly in commercial properties, but residential properties where I started. You know, this is over, this is about 2000, year 2000 that I started doing mostly investing, started out of BC. And, you know, I've been in Vancouver for 25 years, good part of my life. I was there since I was six. But for the most part, my my experience came from my early days as a financial planner and learning a lot about financial well-being of, uh, you know, the tax code and everything else of Canada. And then later realized that how important and fundamental real estate is as an investment and how most people become financially wealthy, whether from a cash flow basis or a multimillionaire at that point through real estate. So that was where it really piqued my interest, even though I was working with you know, funds and you know, significant organizations that were raising capital through mutual funds or mix or mortgage investment trusts and stuff like that. I realized at the end of the day, you know, how people were becoming fundamentally wealthy through time and why they were wealthy is because of real estate and, and they're not buying and selling all the time. And it was a long-term hold strategy that really caught my attention. And uh, from there, I started growing my portfolio in Canada, started from BC and uh, started in residential and realized I had some significant challenges to scale because of uh, how the banking system works or perhaps even how the, the basis of lending or even the, the, the basis of holding residential property was leverage, right, which is the biggest part in real estate or one of the biggest keys in real estate. And then I went into commercial where I realized the, uh, the lid comes off and you, know, you, can, you can do whatever you believe and you can imagine and you can actually structure. So from there, it opened the can of worms where I said, you know, commercials where it's going to be. And uh, it just, it, it, you know, it, it let me go wild here. And I was able to build that portfolio and started in BC and then from there in Toronto. And then uh, it just got to the US, obviously a natural progression. And then from there, Brexit, brought me to UK. I was looking for the right opportunity. And Brexit was the moment where I said crises create an opportunity, went there, started developing a portfolio. And we did 46 properties in a rolling 12 months after Brexit. And from there, it was just, we never looked back and we looked at opportunity after opportunity. But I think, you know, one of the things that really helped me grow my portfolio internationally was, was I was always a believer of crises create an opportunity. And so, you know, in, you, you have your, your watch your list and when things hit, you know, pandemic being one of them, not saying take advantage of it, but, um, you know, you, you need to know where your opportunities are and how you're going to be able to capture them when things fundamentally get uh, to become valuable. And that's how I've grown my business around the world um, as an investor turned entrepreneur where that's where investorpreneur comes in, where investors meet entrepreneur and that's I've built the investment as a business. One thing you mentioned there, Pete, was when you were starting off, you were in the residential investment side of it. And you said about how you felt restricted there on the lending ability from the banks. And then you figured out commercial might give you more opportunity to grow that investment portfolio. Can you maybe speak to a little bit of what those challenges were or those restrictions were that you found on the residential side that maybe don't exist on the commercial side? Right. Absolutely. Um, 
And this goes back to, you know, the time where I don't do so much residential here in BC because of the lending restrictions. And you bring up a really good point. The lending restriction in Canada, for the most part, is based on TDSR, right? And it's, you know, the amount of debt ratio that you can actually have or how amount of debt to your income that you can have. So when it comes to residential, it's more... You know, if I go into a bank and go, oh, I want to buy a residential property, and I don't mean a, a multifamily, but, you know, if I want to buy a, a, an apartment, if I want to buy a, a single family home or a townhome, the first thing that they're going to ask me is what income I have. They're going to look yeah. at Peter and try to justify Peter and his lendability, right? When I walk into a bank, per se, and I go, I want to buy a commercial property, the first thing that they ask is, who's your tenant? They don't care who Peter is. So all of a sudden, that becomes immediately more scalable, because if it's residential, that means how much income you have to, you know, you're personally paying, or how much you're personally making, that determines how much property you could buy. And so, of course, with the tax rate of Canada, and, and by the way, I'm not a tax accountant, but what I can say is taxes are are an imminent part of the Canadian system, and so the amount of net income I have as a staff or as a entrepreneur is going to be the, the largest restriction as to my lendability. Whereas in the commercial, immediately that is not a criteria that nearly is looked at the same way. And so that opened the whole can of worms for me to be able to go, what can I buy? What do I want to buy? And, and it really was a tenant focus. What type of asset can I buy from the commercial side where it was focused on what type of tenants I can bring in? And as Corey can test to, AAA tenants became a fundamental element of my portfolio really early on. And that's part of my scalability is because I, I wasn't just looking for great properties with great locations. I was also looking for great properties, great locations with great tenants. So that And tenants that had a big name for themselves really made a tremendous difference to my portfolio building. So I think that leads us to our next question was we're going to wanted to ask you about your investment philosophies. And it sounds like, and maybe I'll elaborate a little bit for our listeners, is in a lot of these retail shopping centers or multi-tenanted commercial buildings, you'll have what they call an anchor tenant, which would be just like it sounds like an anchor. It's the weight. It's what draws it. So in a shopping center, like a Staples would be an anchor or Starbucks would be an anchor. Corey and Adam's coffee shop, not so much. So we're growing. We're, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Wait, when those blueberry <laughs> scones come out next If you make the coffee week, that you guys make, it'll be grown for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait for our blueberry scones next week. Yeah. Is, is, what is the investment philosophy as you're growing this portfolio? Is, it, you know, is the anchor of these acquisitions part of that investment philosophy? Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on that for us? And if, if I could piggyback on that, you started off with a buy and hold philosophy in residential. Has that carried over to commercial? Absolutely. So let me ask you, actually answer that first, because I have not fundamentally been looking at selling, right? I've never been a seller of properties. As a matter of fact, you know, my philosophy, as, as you alluded to, Corey, is that I buy and hold and I seldom sell, right? I buy and hold and I seldom sell. I don't, I, you know, I used to say I don't even sell, but when people really offer you a, a, almost a blank check to go, okay, we'll give you 30, 40% above asking, or even if you're asking at all, you know, then you look at that independently and go, well, yes, that might make sense but financially, because then I'm I'm able to utilize the same capital. We don't have like the 1030 type of tax codes like the U.S. to be able to to move from property to property without paying taxes the same way. But I would say 
because of the lendability of the type of properties that I'm looking at, I much rather buy and hold because I'm not having to pay the same level of taxes on a sale and then a repurchase. Because I do know over long term, especially with inflation now being a very hot topic, uh, sort of mid late you know COVID season would then be you know the fact of inflation and hard assets in this particular case with great tenants become a phenomenal hard asset. So that becomes a very core strategy of mine that's really played out really well. And that's why I also believe that, you know, investors as a whole, they make more money. Most typical investors make a lot more money in in real estate versus the stock market because people are not buying and selling with a click of a button. There's so many parameters that allows people to actually stay invested versus the stock market where a lot of people are just buying and selling and they're constantly flipping. So that's the first part of that. And Corey, when you mentioned the element of uh, staples or you know a staple tenant or anchor tenant, I actually think that that was a strategy that I utilized and, and my team utilized that was incredible. Because again, it, they're not justifying Peter when they're looking at lending. Yeah. They're looking at staples or Starbucks or you know, in the in the recent case, Pizza Pizza, Sherwin Williams, or or, or yeah. you know, companies like uh, IKEA or Costco or Walmart, or some of these tenants that you're able to have, that automatically builds the credibility. And and to a bank, they're lending to Peter, but they're really looking at the underlying asset, which is essentially your tenants and 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 that lease. So from that standpoint, the anchor tenants become such a such an asset. That if you utilize that and incorporate that as part of a long-term strategy, then it can be a very, very lucrative one for sure. So if we go back, say, 10 years and the focal point or the the acquisition or uh, philosophy is we're going to find well-located commercial buildings with strong anchor-type tenants in here that we can use for future growth and leasing and use them as an anchor position, as the property value goes up, do you re-leverage through a refinance to get equity out of that property to continue growing your portfolio versus, say, selling it and then taking the equity and redeploying it? Absolutely. So you touch up a really good point is, is capital is always limited, right? So you know, there's, there's infinite amount of deals and no matter how much money you've got, you're still going to run out because you can buy a Bentall building and all of a sudden you're going to be short a few hundred million. Yeah. So from that standpoint, no matter how big or small the amount of capital you're going to deploy, you're always going to run out of your, your core capital. So from that standpoint, having the right tenants and having the right leases allow you to essentially have an equity takeout on whether residential or even commercial, especially commercial, because now with the new lease after 10 years, the amount of lease rates that have gone up, yeah. um, even after you know post-COVID, so to, so to say, you know, we understand waves, you know, everything, everything comes in a trend and, and in property, it's a lot longer cycles than it is certainly in the stock market. So I would always allude to this. It depends on your strategy as an investor. Some investors that are more active are going to take a very different approach to real estate as a passive investor that's looking for long-term passive income. So from that standpoint, I would say I, from my strategy, I definitely go back to the bank and, and refinance the building if it makes sense. But I'm a, I'm a guy who believes in fundamentally cash flow. And so one of my core philosophies in, in real estate as an investor 
is that cash flow is king. Cash isn't king because you can take it to the bank and the banks are going to not look at your cash. You, you might have $2 million there, but you can all easily go to a casino and lose $2 million in a night, right? So banks don't value necessarily cash, but they value cash flow. So that's something that the anchor tenant as well will be able to provide you with a stability, right? The mom and pop shop or even a residential property that somebody is based on a job having $2,000 a month trying to pay rent is going to be very fundamentally different as a risk than an anchor tenant. And that's why banks value so much the property, but they also value even more importantly, the tenant. That's excellent. So, so Peter, maybe changing gears a little bit, you're speaking to us in Hong Kong. We know you're from, or you grew, or you spent a, a 20, 20 plus years in Vancouver. I'm interested in how you made the leap from local investor to global investor. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. I think that, you know, there's a lot of opportunities that happen in life. And when opportunities knock, you at least got to keep your mind open. Right. As an investor, I mean, you know, now I'm doing a lot of VC work. I'm doing a lot of uh, angel investment, private equity, le- or private lending and private equity. So it, all those things was not part of my cards. My, my family never invested in real estate other than the home that they've lived in. My father was actually against property. Right. And actually, he became in 2018, he became a real estate investor himself. Of course, not alluding to the fact that I did it. He's like, no, I figured this up on my own, of course. But what was interesting about that is I knew that opportunities, I have to at least look at them, right? And when I had the opportunity, I had a a restaurant business in in Vancouver and quite a different operations in Vancouver. But when I had sold those businesses, I identified, you know, I need to open my horizons. I need to open my, you know, my my scope and, and identify what type of opportunities are out there. And I knew that Vancouver was a phenomenal market because you have so much in inflow of capital. And when you have inflow of capital, it's just like a stock. You all of a sudden have more buyers than you have sellers. And if you have more buyers, and because it's so beautiful that real estate's based upon comparables, so if somebody buys something, it's, it's going to push everything up. I realized that this is a very replicatable type of business real estate business. And because I didn't come from a developer background, I didn't come from, you know, more the building side. I was like, well, how do I do what I do knowing what I know in does it work everywhere? And so my next thing was was looking at the Toronto market. I said, well, it's the same type of, you know, jurisdictional type of tax code and so okay, you know, I can get my head wrapped around that. Still speak the same type of language. I mean, obviously I'm proficient in English. So that gave me another opportunity to go, okay, well, anywhere that was capable of speaking English essentially is a possibility. So that's where Toronto came into play and then uh, started doing a lot of private equity investing, which led me down to the US. And as a matter of fact, one of your fellow interviewees on, on your podcast, right, we've invested in their, some of their projects. And so it really opened up my horizons, right? And as to what I could invest in. And so you know, was at the beginning was really tagging on to other people, right? And working with other people who've done it before, who have the experience, who have the knowledge that have done it before me. And so, you know, a lot of that mentorship, a lot of the, the correspondence enlightening what I could do. And that really helped me stabilize my, my footing. And then from there, I think it was just about 10 years ago, I moved to Hong Kong and I looked at real estate here in Hong Kong. 
And I was just like, man, you guys are mad. Like there, there's, that doesn't make any sense. There's no, there's no mathematics behind this. I don't know how you guys could have these crazy prices. And, and Vancouver, of, of course, at that time was already on, you know, the Bloomberg sort of like, you know, bubble list. Right. And so coming to Hong Kong, it was, it was really an eye opener again, because there's a story that comes out of this. I was uh, looking at a property in Hong Kong. Residential didn't make any sense because, I mean, you know, square footage ranges between 5,000. It's like 5,000 US per square foot, right? That's sort of what private residential started at. And the returns were about 2% before fees. So it made no sense to me in, in Hong Kong from a residential standpoint. And when I started looking at commercial here, I realized here in Hong Kong, that's even more crazy because you're looking at now a cap rate of about one and a quarter. I'm like cap rate of one and a quarter and lending rate being a one, right, on LIBOR. And I was like, wow, this is, this is nutty. I mean, so how do you guys, you're basically paying to have a tenant because you're going to be cash flow negative and it's 50% lending, lend, uh, loan to value ratio. So on a building that you're going to buy for 20 million, you know, that could be a thousand square foot here in Hong Kong if it's a great location, but, you're, but it doesn't justify. Cash flow didn't work. There was no cash flow there, and again, it goes against my philosophy of investment because, you know, cash flow is king. Yeah. And so, you know, that's when I realized, hey, you know, I'm going to have to pick and choose what meets my criteria, what works for me, for my family stature, and what type of investments would would meet those things. And I realized Hong Kong wasn't the place, and so I turned it around. And at that time, I think uh, we looked at some property in Canada. And in turn, I actually end up uh, bridging some properties that were sold in Hong Kong, a Canadian property in Vancouver, because we were able to get five caps at that point, Corey, I and mean, you can attest to a few years ago, you know, five years ago, we can still do like a five cap on, on, a, on, a, on a strip mall, maybe even a little bit higher than that in some cases. And here in Hong Kong, it was like one and a quarter. And so it was tremendously valuable to a lot of Asian investors. And at that point, it was like three buildings totaling 20, I think it was like $24 million Canadian was sold by a local local broker here in Hong Kong under three days, right? And I was just like, wow. I mean, so we didn't even know how good we had it in Vancouver until you had a perspective. And that's where I realized that the global economy, because I now look at uh, interest rate, I look at uh, also at the, the, ben, the lending capacity, the tax rate, as well as the ability for a currency. So I work with, you know, as an investor, the currency element being a, a fundamental aspect. Not only do I earn for the property, I also earn on the FX and the, and, and the exchange on that as well. So that's how it does. It just sort of, it just evolved, right? When I saw opportunities, I just went to take a look and I said, okay, well, how, how does this fit into my portfolio? Does this actually work? And so, you know, I do a lot more residential in, in UK where, you know, they have different laws and structures around real estate, residential or commercial different from Canada. So you can always pick and choose what type of battles you want because you get to dictate the rules, right? What type of properties that you want and um, learning, all right? And working with people like yourself, Corey, or even other investors and, and really getting to be in the know uh, as to the tips and tricks and what works in that market. Because what works in one place, even though it's real estate, may not be exactly the same as another jurisdiction. 
Peter, can you talk a little bit about maybe Canada's role in the world for global real estate investors and then, and then maybe BC's role in, in your opinion or, or how you see our province uh, from the perspective for, for global real estate investors? Absolutely. And I think the, the fundamental, one of, one of my mentors has always told me about, about real estate, it's about scarcity, right? They're not making more land, right? And so from that standpoint, Vancouver is in a very unique position because it's surrounded by water and the border and the mountain, right? Similar to Hong Kong. And that's why, you know, if I look at the global economy or the global investment cycles, it's top 10 type of cities in the world, where are risks considered. And, and for me and most serial ultra high net worth or in, uh, high net worth individuals that are looking to deploy capital in real estate, whether family office or institution, they're looking at risk. And what's my risk to reward, right? And does it justify? And what Canada does is it's a little bit of a safe haven from the standpoint of low risk and reasonable return and favorable uh, lending conditions. So that becomes something that's extremely attractive as a place to invest. And you can see a lot of organization, institutions, and otherwise invest into the Canadian economy because our currency is relatively stable. We are, uh, you know, our, our employment's relatively stable. We don't have a lot of change. And because we don't have a lot of change, we then can identify Canadian as a good market to invest. We're not looking at you know, having big rides of up and down because most institutions or, or serial investors are looking for consistency, especially if they're looking for an investment and not a building project, right? Which is a whole different realm of investing into real estate. But because they're looking at investment and deploying capital and making sure that the, the wealth is preserved, the Canadian economy becomes a phenomenal one compared to most other markets. So that's my opinion. And how Vancouver sets it apart is because of scarcity. You know, Toronto has a lot of land. Alberta has a ton of land. If you look at uh, where I've invested in terms of Nova Scotia and Newfoundland and areas of that nature, they have tons of land. So Vancouver does have a very unique uh, value proposition to the global inst- investor because of the scarcity of land and also because of the multiculturalism, because of our ability to have you know, various different languages and also very, uh, you know, various different cultures in Vancouver or BC for that matter, we're able to really attract the global economy and people really want to identify markets where they can have, whether it's a vacation home or investments that they can rely upon or lending that they can, they can understand common law. And so all this becomes a really good catchment for why people will love to invest in BC is because of, of stability. And that you know, risk is always going to be one of the biggest considerations for an investor because they want to make sure that their wealth is preserved and that they're able to rely on their property, their investment to perform over the long term. And BC, for that matter, is, is certainly one of my top places to invest. And I still believe that in a lot of ways, it's still undervalued. How um and I'd love to get to that as well. But how how do like the fact of it sounds like you're investing in major urban centers from what I can tell Hong Kong, London, Toronto, Vancouver. How does that inform your investment philosophy, or does it? Well, actually, you know, I invest in Newfoundland on Moncton 
you know, places like Moncton, which no, it's not an urban center. Or I invest in Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham, Leeds, Poole, Blackpool, Richmond, Surrey, in places that are outside the, the core of the London you know, scenario as well. So even though that, you know, urban centers have its type of investment, I also look at building a diversity. Now, I'm not building diversity because I believe, you know, just buy properties for the sake of diversity is because each type of asset presents a different opportunity, right? If you're going to buy a tech stock or if you're going to buy a bank stock, it's fundamentally different. The type of growth, the type of dividends is going to be different. And so I would say that urban centers, if you as an investor can get your head wrapped around what that looks like, these assets will only grow. All Generally speaking, in major urban centers, it's really more and more towards capital appreciation versus the, the yield or the dividend or the rent that you can collect, the net rent after everything else that you have to pay for. You mentioned there Surrey, Richmond kind of markets outside of Vancouver. Do you see those markets growing and there's room to grow within those markets maybe versus the urban hubs like a Vancouver market? I do. I do. Well, first and foremost, I was referring to Surrey and, and uh, Richmond in UK. Okay. But but for Sorry, that matter, coffee I, over I here do. Yet. <laughs> no, no. I mean, hey, you know, you see the same names again and again. But I would say this. During COVID, when everybody is now looking at, oh, my God, you know, we're going to move away from the core. I'm going, that's an opportunity. Because all of a sudden, behavior, people perform the same time and time again, because that's human behavior. Right? Are we now going to not see anybody? Are we now not going to have dinner? Are we now not wanting to be alive again? No. I mean, fundamentally, that hasn't changed. Yes, we might be wearing a mask. We might be doing all these things. But our human behavior hasn't changed. So the core city centers, as a matter of fact, that has been flat, whether it's for the most part in, in Vancouver or whether it's Toronto or Seattle or even UK, London, uh, Hong Kong, it's been flat for a early part of the pandemic. Talking about 2020 started from sort of March onwards with thurlows and, and rent uh, holidays, et cetera. Those assets became extremely undervalued because all of a sudden nobody wants those. But the behavior will come back because real estate, we're not investing for the short term. So urban centers became really, really core stable for me when I was early in the pandemic phase. But now towards the later, of course, now I'm going, hey, I know that the capital appreciation has been huge on these things. Even over the course of one year, these assets have now come back in a, in a very, very strong way. And now you can possibly, in my case, I'm looking at refinances of, of these type of assets, which fundamentally just became undervalued overnight. And now they're back at where they were. And now, because of that scenario, I'm able to, you know, take out to equity and which I'm buying into places that are outside the urban center. In the case of Vancouver, I actually would invest into, well, I mean, as Corey, you can test to Maple Ridge or even areas with New Westminster or places like Richmond, which all three of those locations since the pandemic I've, I've, done, I've done deals in. And so from that standpoint, I actually believe that these urban centers, especially with the scarcity of land like Vancouver and a growing population still, and that's another fundamental, becomes one of those, you know, definite, it's a matter of time. It's not if, it's it's just when. Peter, in, in thinking about, uh, you had mentioned that BC in your in your mind has has room to grow. 
from your vantage point, can you kind of talk about how you see BC growing and, and where you where you think the opportunities are? Sure. Well, first and foremost, I think this is this is the the big one is that there was a really big currency play that was early pandemic, right? So, you know, currency is a big, big part of it. And now stability is being another big part of it. And so because of these things, people are going to places where it provides stability. So people in Hong Kong, people in China, people from Europe, people from the US, they're all looking at going, okay, I want to go to some place that is, you know, temperature wise makes sense. Financially, it makes sense. From a living standard point, it makes sense. And there's stability. So that creates a fundamental demand in the marketplace. And so because of that, I think BC has a very, very unique uh, proposition to be able to grow because of the inflow of people, right? Because naturally, if people come, then spending will increase. And spending increases, there's businesses, and that's where it leads. So it's spending economy, right? GDP being created. So I think that is a very important aspect versus an outflow of people. So Vancouver and and BC has that as its fundamental. But furthermore, how does it really encapsulate the the global market is is because people want to be here, right? Investments, they they, they go to where other people are, right? So if people want to move, they're moving to where their friends are. They're moving to places where they can see their families growing. And with this inflow comes with their capital as well. So a lot of this has happened, obviously, in since the you know not only the pandemic, but you know from Hong Kong, where there's an outflow of Hong Kongers going to places like UK because of the BNO, or vice versa in Canada because there's about three hundred thousand people, three hundred thousand Canadians here in Hong Kong that are in Hong Kong that are now looking to go back to Canada. So, and a large part of that being in in Vancouver or in BC. And so you have these situations where it creates an, you know, a significant opportunity for the push-up of, of commercial or residential properties here in, in BC. So very unique timing you know, for, for BC, for sure. So here's the loaded question then. Where's, where's Peter putting his money in BC? What market? What asset um, class? Well, you know, I, I would say this, Corey, right? It, you, no matter where you go in the world, certainly I believe that you have to have the right team. Right. Yeah. And without right people, you can't run a business and yeah. you can't run an investment. And there's no people have said, oh, Peter, I mean, oh, it's great. It's passive income. I go, well, nothing's fully passive. Right. Nothing's fully passive. If you believe that it's fully passive and totally hands off, you're being sold something. Right. And, and you're being a little bit delusional because everything requires a bit of effort or at least some element of effort. If you're not doing it, then your team has to do it. And in, in my case, you know, having a great team here in BC or in everywhere around the world that I invest is a, a fundamental staple. If I don't have that, I'm not investing there. So that means accountants. That also means lawyers. That also means real estate agents. That also means, uh, you know, people in the, in the field that are professionals at it, te- you know, people who also focus on leasing, property management. If I don't have a team in place, I'm not investing there. So with that being said, where am I, you know, sort of in, in BC? Certainly, it's been a core of my investment. As a matter of fact, we're looking at a whole pipeline of deals that we're going to be closing over the next sort of six months here in BC. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to take more, uh, you know, my, my, my capital and also my activity will, will tell that BC is one of the core markets that I believe in. 
because of all the reasons I've mentioned. And, and commercial is without a doubt where I would be putting my capital in because I believe that that has got the biggest room to grow. International institutional players are looking at the, the BC economy being strong and being able to be vibrant for the longevity, not just today, but for the longevity. And so that's where my capital and that's where my activity and that's where I'm investing. What cities in BC does Peter like? I still love Vancouver as a core, so Vancouver as, as, as a general, but I am also looking at Maple Ridge being a phenomenal one. I love, I mean, don't want to spill all my secrets, but I would say Maple Ridge is definitely one of the markets I love fundamentally. I know that some people love Victoria. I, I like core Victoria as well. I also like, I mean, Chilliwack because of, of all the movements that has happened. So, you know, you can attest to that, Corey. That was about five, six years ago. Yeah. That That's where I, I, I deployed capital. I believe that Abbotsford, Langley, Chilliwack are fundamentally strong markets and will continue to be, depending on your appetite. Because, of course, the cash flows are a little bit less in in that of downtown. But I would say if I can, you know, my my core is if I can look for properties that have a land cover play, right? The ability for me to go buy a building, sit on the building, still relatively cash flows, look for the you know great tenants, look for you know five, 10 years down the road where it's it's just you know I very little work has to be done having the right team put together, but that's wealth being built, you know, five, 10 years for a legacy building place. So I that's where I personally love the opportunity the most is going to be in secondary, not even secondary cities, but like Maple Ridge or Chilliwack or Abbotsford or um, you know Victoria for that matter, where I think that the market has so much potential for you know a significant uplift over the next five ten years. So I'm going to ask you to take out your crystal ball here, if you if you don't mind, and what's Pete's prediction on the BC real estate market, say three to five years from now? Do we bounce right back and we keep going, or do we? Where are we three to five years from now? Um. That's a great question. I mean, you know, we're always looking at what the future holds. Certainly, I think the the market in Vancouver or BC in general, I think it's still got to be up, right? The the amount of capital that's currently sitting on the sidelines waiting is a lot, right? Because of all the capital that's being created. And people are now looking at, you know, stock market being at a relatively all-time high. So from that standpoint, people's capital are now just go where where do I deploy this capital? And so I would definitely say in, in three years' time, I would say regardless of the situation, I would say that it's going to be up from here. There and, and I and I unfortunate well, the fortunate and unfortunate part is I think that the global real estate prices are going to do that. The question is whether BC will outperform the rest of the market. And my answer to that would be yes, I think the BC market will outperform the global market. Pete, before we let you go here, we have uh, we call our our six pack where we ask you six lighthearted questions about yourself outside of the office there, so we get a little bit better to get get to know you a little bit better outside of the office. Do you have five more minutes for us? Absolutely, go for it, Corey. All right. So our six pack is powered by Redpoint Law. For all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca. So I'll let Adam lead us off here. Peter, what uh, first question is? What is your favorite vacation spot? My favorite vacation spot has got to be Japan. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, and Tokyo, or do you have a another city in Japan? Oh, I mean, I'm I'm a big foodie, so I've 
Tokyo is is absolutely right up there. Osaka being another one, but I I just love food, Japanese food,、um, culture, everything else of that nature. Japan is absolutely top of my list without a doubt. Wow, wow. This 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 next question, I'm interested to hear your answer. A book you would recommend our listeners? Twenty One Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John C. Maxwell. See how fast you hear that answer. See how fast I wrote that down. Yeah.、Uh, question number <laughs> question number three is: What is your favorite band or song? What is my favorite band or song? Favorite、yeah. band or song. This、um, tells us who you I, really, I, who fundamentally you really I'm. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm at at heart I'm still you know very much in love with Asian music. So I would say it's、uh, Eternity Love from Jackie Chan. It would be my would be my song of choice. Writing that、wow. down too. With all your advice here, Pete, today Adam's gonna run out of notebook here in about <laughs> two minutes. He's been writing down every city and everything so fast. Yeah, just need the money to deploy. <laughs> <laughs> A quote you live by: "You only have everything with integrity. You live life with integrity." Good one. Good one. Question number five: Favorite movie or TV show? Wow, man! I don't know when the last time I really watched a TV show, but Suits. I had a chance to meet Gabrielle Mock. You got to be kidding、um, me! From、I've, Suits, I've watched、yeah. Suits like from day one, and I seriously, I'm not Pete. I'm not lying to you when I say this. I'm at least on my fifth or sixth run through on Netflix right now, <laughs> and my suit that I wear the day of is determined on what Harvey Specter wears that morning. So if he's got the black suit,、oh, the gray、man. tie, that's what I walk out to. I'm Absolutely obsessed with suits. I have a rend or a, I guess a, a copy of the Harvey Specter. I guess it's a duck painting or whatever is in his office in my office from the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm a follower too, and and it was it was、uh, one of those that I I will I I watch almost religiously. Yeah, and I'm a bit of a binge because I I just watch episode after episode. So I'll do like a a 24 hour type of binge、wow. type of opportunity. And、uh, you know, meeting him was phenomenal. And、uh, you know, having you know actually discussed property with Gabriel Mock and also his family values.、Uh, just you know, the guy is amazing and just a, such a family person. Just phenomenal meeting. We had a chance to speak in、um, L.A. So it was、uh, awesome. we spoke on the same stage, and it was really really cool. So he is a little bit different from the the character. Yeah, I but bet. Justin, you know, he, he is so good looking, man. <laughs> Well, I, I have a man crush on him. I'm happy to say that Harvey Specter is right up there. So I'm <laughs> you and I both. No, no qualms. You and、there. I both. Last question for you, Pete. A piece of advice you would give our listeners, maybe who are looking to enter the investment market in BC. Here, what's some piece of advice of all your successful years of investing? Buy and hold, and seldom sell. Seldom sell. It's not、I、the、like、first、it. time we've heard that. A lot of a lot of people have come on this that have done very well in real estate have a very similar. Biggest regrets are the properties they sold. Yeah, yeah. Everyone <laughs> seems to say that. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Well, well, Peter, how can people find out more about what you're up to? And is there anything you'd like to share in terms of、uh, how people can find you? Sure. I mean, people can look me up at I am Peter Leung, and that you can find me on whether it's Facebook or Instagram, for that matter, and Investorpreneur, where we also, you know, have,、uh, you know, we also work with a lot of、uh, hedge funds. We also work with a lot of high、uh, net worth individuals on actually looking for, you know, whether real estate or investment opportunities. So you know, look me up on those mediums or on LinkedIn、uh, under the same Peter Leung or I'm Peter Leung. But I would say you know the 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 opportunity is take action, right? And 
you know, everybody wonders what could have happened if they had, you know, changed their life. And for me, it was, it was the, it was the taking action first with residential, uh, with pre-sales that change everything. And it just takes one opportunity, one person or one deal to change the rest of your life and the family tree of your family. And so for me, that, that would be my advice for everybody. Just take action and, and, and get yourself wrapped up around a team of people that you can trust and relate to. Great advice. Yeah, that was phenomenal. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, chat with us today, Peter. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thanks so much for your time, Pete. Take care. There you have it, folks. Our interview with Peter Leung, global real estate investor worldwide. Great episode. Lot of insight. Great takeaways. Yeah, absolutely. And and I got to say, I really enjoyed that conversation with Peter. It's incredible when you have someone on the show who has thought through their investment philosophy in kind of a meaningful way. And you can just tell, like it's it's not surprising how successful he is no, <laughs> based on just on how much, nothing is by chance, right? No, it's it's no. nothing is by chance with this guy, you can tell. And uh, yeah, interesting to think about Vancouver in the global context. Yeah. I, I feel like since the foreign buyer tax came in in the residential side of real estate, we still position Vancouver as a, a global market, but it often feels like it's hyper-local in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I guess yeah. with commercial real estate, it continues to thrive on in this kind of global context yep. in a more pronounced way, I would think. Yeah, and the thing too is like in Vancouver, it's it's got a lot of international attention on it and it's had a lot of that over the past, say, 10 years. And we're not traditionally like a head office city. So as you mean more and more people come in, more jobs get created, there's opportunities here that maybe you don't find in some other markets throughout Canada. And a lot of companies that are looking from a portfolio standpoint, Vancouver's been very high on their radar where you can build office towers. In right. some cities, like there's not enough demand to build. Here, there's too much demand. So that's why they're building them. Peter goes into a, a little bit of how Vancouver stacks up against other Canadian markets and also how he likes it internationally. Extremely good insight. Very, very, very analytical guy with For a sure. lot of thought behind his decisions. And that's one reason why I think he's been as successful as he has acquiring property all over the world. I also, I love one of the biggest takeaways for me was definitely when he, when he highlighted that it took moving to Hong Kong and understanding that market for him to appreciate what's going on in Vancouver. Yep. It's such an interesting takeaway. And when you just hear him talking about Hong Kong, you got to wonder, one, how does it make sense? Yep. I mean, how, <laughs> it doesn't, how does it, it doesn't, how does it, make it doesn't, sense? I'm not sure what the play there is. Yep. Um, but, but on the flip side of that is it makes you think we have significant room to yep. grow as a market. Well, if you look at Vancouver and you look you mean at other international cities that we may stack up against, and we'll say San Francisco, because we have a very similar type tenant base in the office market now with all the tech companies. Sure. There was a report last year I was reading, this was probably pre-pandemic though, so keep that in mind, that a AAA office building in downtown San Francisco would fetch about 86 to $88 a foot on the base rent side. We just in Vancouver, maybe three years back, got to like the mid 40s. Right. So now you're seeing things a little bit higher than that. But to give you an example of that same tenant that may, you know, may occupy in Vancouver versus San Francisco, we're half price before you convert the dollar. Right. So there's a lot of stuff that that we are sort of below a lot of the international standards, although we might be a lot higher than, say, Alberta with some stuff. We're far below things when you're looking at stuff versus New York. New York, yeah. $2,000 a foot for, for lease space in New York. Like right. here, you know, I mean, 
80 bucks is a big deal. So right. when you look at that stuff and you kind of compare it with the type of tenant pools that we draw from, Vancouver is very undervalued in a lot of marketplaces. And as it continues to grow with population and all that stuff, demand for, for product in this province is only going to get worse and worse or higher and higher and higher with no supply coming online. And it's kind of like the skins of the onion because as the further you go, you know, yep. you can keep thinking about the different layers of it, but really it's the, you've got the global context, but yep. what's so brilliant about what I think you guys are doing at William Wright, but also what we've been talking about on this show is, is applying it to some of the subsidiary markets yeah. around BC. Like, yeah. you know, look at Vancouver where it's gone already. Yeah. And now look at markets like Victoria yeah. or Kelowna or Kamloops or, or wherever. Right. So, I mean, it, it's, it's very interesting how, uh, how perspective works in, in understanding markets. And also, I mean, you know, if you're comparing Vancouver to Edmonton, it's a tough market to understand, but yeah. if you're comparing it within the context of the Pacific Rim, yeah. it becomes an opportunity. And that's who our tenants are. Like when you go downtown shopping in Vancouver, you're you're going to Nordstrom's. Right. Well, guess what? Nordstrom's isn't just in Vancouver, Surrey, and Abbotsford. Nordstrom's in every major market you'd want. So Nordstrom's looks at Vancouver as, how does that compare to Seattle? How does that compare to New York? How does that compare? So when you put it on that context, Vancouver is still undervalued in a lot of circumstances. Right with the type of tenant pools that we draw from. And one thing that I think people forget in commercial maybe versus residential is when you're leasing space, the lease rates are more determined by the core of that particular market versus province-wide. And by that, I mean maybe it's $2,000 a foot for a condo in Yaletown, and that same condo in Kamloops might be $300 a foot or $400 a foot. When we're leasing stuff, it's comparing the core of Vancouver versus the core of Kamloops. And if I told you that the lease price on an industrial space is almost the same price in Kamloops as it is in Vancouver, a lot of people are shocked by that. Right. But that's commercial market works in a different manner that way. So that way, if you can get into these markets like Kelowna, Victoria, and Kamloops and stuff like that that we talk about, you'll have a lot of runway ahead of you on, a, on an equity side of things because the marketplace is just developing out and you're not really sacrificing a lot to go there, except for maybe a little bit higher vacancy rate. Right. Right. And Vancouver is so historically low as of the last couple of years that- I mean, even when you go to a, I mean, a market like Victoria that might have a six or seven percent retail market, our vacancy on the retail side, a balanced market might be eight, and sure. that could be New York. So when you look at that, we're still below that in some of our secondary markets. That I think creates huge value opportunity for buyers coming in. Yeah, and I and I would I would guess like we had Francis Bula on the show uh, on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, uh, which will be coming out next week, I believe, and we were just talking about how. The suburbs and, yeah. and the secondary markets are growing so much right now with people yeah. leaving the city. And and one of the examples that she had given was the the guy who closed his office in Gastown for uh, opening an office. And I think it's in, I think it was Maple Ridge, if I remember yeah. correctly, because of the change in the nature of work and everything else. Yeah. But you you would imagine that the interchange of just everybody, the, the new transplants to all these markets, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm talking to somebody every other week who's trying to go to Victoria or trying to yeah. go to, to Nanaimo or one of these, one of these markets and their demand is their taste is not going to change. They're still no. going to want the amenities of yeah. Vancouver. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, just the, the, what's going on with COVID and people leaving the major urban set centers for the secondary markets, you would imagine is going to elevate the commercial markets in these secondary 100%. markets. 100%. As more and more population grows in these markets, yeah. that's going to create demand for jobs and then commercial sort of follows right after that. So, you mean, I think you're going to find, you mean, if we fast forward five or 10 years, some of these secondary markets to Vancouver, like a Victoria, maybe a Nanaimo, a Kelowna, or even a Kamloops, 
are going to be much more mature and look a lot more like, say, what Vancouver does because of people's expectations from where they're coming from. And right. I think when you look in Victoria for developers that build towers similar to like we see in Vancouver, that can relate a lot to a Vancouver investor because sure. they speak the same language as that product because they've seen it. Or when they go over there to buy it or rent it, those are products they're going to look for. So I think developers will also have the opportunity to take advantage of those opportunities where when they go into these markets, if they build similar type product, maybe not to the same massing though, you're going to get a lot of people that will be transplanting over to these markets that that's what they're going to be receptive to and attracted to because that's what they know. Right, right. And they'll have some money in their pockets too because they cashed out of Vancouver. How much more? I don't know anymore now. You yeah. look in Victoria, <laughs> right? You know, it's approaching a thousand bucks a foot over there for reading. <laughs> well, for, this is the stuff. wildest thing, even oh. just thinking about what's going on in Surrey right now on the residential yeah. side is some of the price per square foot on the on the presale, you know, it's it's getting pretty close to resale in Vancouver. So wow. I mean, the the choices that people have and how narrow some of these these margins yeah. is are between you know, suburban markets and urban markets is uh is is really interesting to watch. Yeah, but, no, it's 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 gonna be an exciting five or 10 years ahead of us here before I think we sort of figure out really how this all settles. Fantastic. Well, Corey, how can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out to uh, William Wright? They can uh, reach me at Corey at WilliamWright.ca by email anytime. They can call our Vancouver office 604-428-5255 or they can always visit our website at WilliamWright.ca. Whether you're a tenant looking to find space, you're a landlord looking to fill space or to buy and sell commercial property, reach out to us. We'll put you in touch with the best agent we have in your marketplace. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we've got another great show coming next week. So yeah, thanks for listening and uh, have a great week, guys. Before we go, I yeah. alluded to a, a question that you guys proposed on your last show that I, I was teasing last time that I have to provide the answer. Otherwise, I'm oh, wait, I are we talking Peloton? Are you bringing Peloton well, up in the well, last minute here? Well, you that should have been the crux of the set, outro. You set me up for failure, right? <laughs> By asking me who, what, what, what uh, instructor I follow. And I said, I would say this week, not that anyone probably cares of this, but can I, can I take a crack at it first? Uh, uh, I, I, I I'll wanna, let you. Yeah, for uh, sure. I'll let I, you. I'm guessing he's, he's really funny. What's his name? My wife. Let me just, let me just get here. Cause I said, my instructor is uh, Alex. Alex. He's Cl great. Toussaint. Yeah, is he's it good. Toussaint. Toussaint. Yeah, but I I list, I basically do the his classes because it's mostly hip hop from my youth. Yeah. Well, that's what that that's why they do it because that's the best shape of your life was back then. So that kind of reminisces that that's uh, we'll play music for when you were in shape. Right. Right. But the here, this is the instructor I was going to guess. It's uh, it's the one that my wife does every single one of his classes. I keep wanting to say Casey, but I think it's um, here. Let's see here. I'm guessing it's Cody Rigsby. That that would be that would be close. That'd be close. He's a funny guy. He's it's, a funny guy. It's, uh, it's uh, a lot of laughs during his classes. I, I've been I'll told. Have, I'll have to. Uh, you know, I feel like you're setting me up for failure with this one, but uh, I'm I'm a Jessica King guy. Jessica King. It's one of those things. If you know, you know type things. I, like, I'm gonna have to look that up. I'm I'm a Jessica King guy in the morning. I I, ah, I bike to her classes. And is it is it your your hills and thrills or what's is it? Uh, Hills and mountains, basically. Anything Jessica King, to be honest with Anything you. <laughs> Jessica. Well, we'll leave it there. Have a great week, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Subscribe today.